Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development discussion series featuring candid conversations with business leaders and innovators across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts on how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and talented workforces in the nation. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. To hear more discussions like this, visit the Michigan Opportunity at thegreatvoice.com. We'll be right back with more on the Michigan Opportunity. Welcome back to the Michigan Opportunity. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast or download the Michigan Opportunity through your preferred podcast platform. And now your host, Ed Clemente. Hello, I'm your host, Ed Clemente, and we're very fortunate to have Carrie Ebersol Singh. She's the Chief Talent and Solutions and Engagement Officer here at the MEDC. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you, Ed. I'm happy to be here. You know, and Carrie, she sounds like she's smiling, and she is because we've known <laughs> each other a while. And uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on. And I know that this job is. I wouldn't say you're new anymore, but it's still newish. And you have probably one of the more fascinating careers of a lot of our guests, because you remind me a little bit of myself, too. But you've actually, I think, even done more things. But uh, I, I kind of get bored at jobs and I move on a lot. <laughs> so, but I don't expect that here at the MEDC. You're doing a great job here. So why don't you tell people, because that's a mouthful of a title. Why don't you tell people what you do for the MEDC? Yes. So leading the talent work here at MEDC, we're focused on essentially developing customized solutions um, across the workforce and talent spectrum of programs in the state to deliver a customized solution to these employers so they can meet their workforce needs. And that may also include some, you know, recruitment plans as well. Um, obviously, we're ultimately focused on attraction and we want to help diversify and build our uh, economy here in the state of Michigan. But that that is what we are doing in the short term. And then in the longer term, we'd love to deepen specific pools of talent like engineers. Even though we have a great footprint of engineers and engineering schools in the state, we want to go further. Uh, and also with computer science. So we'd love to be in a top five state uh, for production of those four-year degrees. Um, as well as there's some K-12 um, or PK-12 really system change that we look forward to partnering with the, the Michigan Department of Education to talk about how do we bring employers closer um, to their curriculum and how can they help mentor kids and give them experiences um, to really ignite that passion for that child's future and how they may see uh, making a living here in the great state of Michigan. And, and we should also say that you come with a lot of pedigree just in this field as well. As long as you didn't say baggage. Ed. No, baggage is <laughs> later. But uh, right now it's pedigree. So, um, no, but I mean, you came from Leo, uh, Labor, Economic, and Opportunity, right? And uh, you created a couple interesting programs or you're responsible for a couple of programs. Why don't you touch on those? Because you're still doing one, right? At least. Well, well no, I, I always say I help to lead. 
Um, Because there was, uh, Doug Ross was instrumental in helping create the ReConnect program here in the state. And I know actually a relative of yours who was leading um, Leo at that time, Jeff Donofrio, was also at the helm and that ReConnect legislation passed. Um, But the other program that is housed in the 60 by 30 office, which I helped to launch, um, was the Futures for Frontliners program, where Governor Whitmer um, was able to utilize federal resources for for a first-in-the-nation um, tuition-free pathway for those few, those frontline workers during the first uh, period of the pandemic to have a bit of um, uh, support uh, to continue to uh, pursue their educational dreams. So those are the two programs uh, marching towards that 60% post-secondary goal that the governor has set forth for the state. I'm going to put in two other plugs for you, but uh, <laughs> you, so I, I've only been at the MDC like a year and a half myself. And so I went to the new member sort of, I was video wise, but, uh, but you did a really great presentation to the staff even for them who don't really know. Cause I remember you were in the room and I think not as many people raised their hands when you asked about certain programs that you just went through with me. Cause I, I think that that's, Often the cases, there's so many things going on, it's hard for people to really grasp. I mean, I'm telling you that the tuition one, I think, is just huge. Yes. And I think it's a great opportunity for a lot of people. I know, it, you know, you we'll, we'll get into downriver a little bit here, but um, a lot of people I know could take advantage of that, while that program. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's important to realize when we think of um, increasing our post-secondary credentials, okay, so this is towards an associate's degree at a community college or an in-demand certificate, and these are for adult learners. Um, life gets busy, life happens, you're in one pursuit, things don't work out, but this is what's so amazing about these programs um, to offer this tuition-free pathway where you don't have to think twice about, you know, getting those tuition payments done because the state is taking care of that. And it was a bipartisan effort. It's one of the beautiful things that unfortunately is a rarity sometimes in our state when we talk about that those bipartisan issues that, uh, especially in the economic development realm, that we do see um, that are exciting for our state. Well, as a former trustee for Wayne County Community College, uh, I know that how important those things are for, because our back then when I was trustee, you know, we had all of Detroit, you know, most of Wayne County, and we had a lot of uh, underserved populations that really could have used it both financially, plus a lot of those families didn't have a role model that would have told them to go to college. And so it's, it's sort of a challenge, even in my own family, you know, like it was a big deal for me to even graduate from high school in my family. So, uh, you know, I, You're I know. You were a troublemaker, how, weren't you? Well, there's, <laughs> no, my sisters, they, they kind of made it easier for me. They took a little longer to graduate, but, uh, but I graduated on time. Anyway, the, um, but I do think it's so critical because you know, I, I, I imagine some of this is the stackable certifications too, right? Because I, can you just give a quick 30 seconds of what that is? Because I think that's the key to the future somewhat. Yes. And, you know, often our CEO, Quentin Messer, talks about having um, a state full of lifelong learners. And as we know, like um, our parents who worked uh, for the same businesses or companies for 30 years or launched small businesses that they owned their entire lifetime, um, this generation is different. I'm a tail end Gen Xer. Uh, I was a bicentennial baby, in case you're curious out there. 
any of that. Not asking any questions. (laughs) As I age myself. Um, But I think it's really important to, you know, think about what are the skills or functions, those passion areas that you want to pursue and get credentials that lead to a high paying job. And then guess what? If you know, interests change or you're ready to go back and learn, take that education to the next level, that's where you're looking at those stackable and portable degrees um, or certificates. So um, those are really what we want to support developing. And, you know, a lot of the work at Labor and Economic Opportunity through many of the WIOA programs that our Michigan Works agencies across the state help uh, implement and provide those pathways to folks. Um, It's really just the beginning. And I think it's really important that folks, you know, find something you have an interest in and then grow, give it a chance, do some job shadowing and, and uh, put yourself out there to get that experience. Thanks for joining us on the Michigan Opportunity brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Whether you're looking for small business resources, exploring an expansion or relocation, or seeking a world-class workforce, visit michiganbusiness.org to learn how you can make it in Michigan. Your host of the Michigan Opportunity, Ed Clemente. So we also, I should mention too, uh, we met each other originally when I when I was a, my first term in the legislature and you were chief of staff for Barb Farah, our good friend. And, and that's how I first met you. And I know th- that you had a career prior to that with, uh, so you're going to help me out a little bit here, but I know Ed McNamara, you said, and Curtis Hertel Sr.? Yeah. Yes, yes. So when I graduated from Michigan State, I started working uh, in downtown Lansing for the Democratic Caucus under Speaker Hertel at that period of time. And the one shout out I need to give is that it was really special to me to start uh, under what we call the the old guard, you know, prior to term limits, what was it like with policymakers shaping policy for our state and learning from them? Um, I And the other uh, experience that you mentioned, and I left Lansing to go work for Wayne County in the abandoned property program. And just to further name drop for your show, Ed, is, um, you know, now Mayor uh, Mike Duggan was the deputy county executive at the time. This was before he became prosecutor and um, a slew of other individuals who've had incredible, impactful uh, careers. And it, it was a very special time for me, again, as a young person to be part of that McNamara family. And that's where I met Barb. Yeah, and Barb, at that time, when I first met her, she was a councilwoman still in uh, Southgate. Mm -hmm. Right, and now her brother's a council person there too now. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I think he's the retired policeman. Mm -hmm. And so, um, anyway, yeah, so there's a lot of us. And one other thing I I get in trouble if I didn't mention, your husband, Sam Singh, uh, we went through MPLP, Michigan Political Leadership Program, a fine program. And if you don't know about it and you think you want to get into the sort of state-level government, it's a good program for you to apply to. Mm-hmm. But Sam and I uh, became friends way back then. He's a lot younger than me, but uh, 
we went to the program. He was a young guy in our group, I remember, but we were both Michigan State guys at that point. And so that's how we became friends. And he was also the mayor of Lance, East Lansing. East Lansing. Right? Yeah, yeah. I forgot all that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I got to say, like, yes, my husband is lovely. But if you've met my five-year-old son, Remington, Ebersol Singh, he... Keep your eye out on him because he is going to make his mark in this in this community. Um, and we've been fortunate, uh, the three of us, just um, as a family unit to enjoy a little bit of this summer, but also um, getting ready for Remy to start kindergarten this fall. And I, you know, I kind of glossed over another point I wanted to make, but uh, you're sort of also the... Uh, I don't know if I want to use this term, but I know the utility player for the governor, too, because you've probably had like four different positions already, right, in her administration? Well, I, I um, so I've known the governor for a while since she first ran for state house. And um, when I actually I was consulting at the time and I was a little bit bored. Sometimes I kick myself for that uh, back in 2019. But at that moment in time, I, I did a check check in with the administration and said, okay, what do y'all need? How can I be helpful? And uh, that is when we embarked upon that 2020 census effort. So that was when I came back to state government in August of 2019. Um, I helped to lead that effort uh, as well as our um, census committee, which had over 60 appointees and working across state government and beyond and with communities across the state. And, you know, we we had a good self-response rate, which is the best thing you can control in the census. Um, so we had our best self-response rate in two censuses. Uh, and considering it was when the pandemic happened, I'll take that as um, a decent badge there. Then that's that's when I actually went over to work for Donofrio over at Leo and to launch the 60 by 30 office. And then it was a quiet day. And I got a message from the governor's scheduler saying the governor would like to speak with you. And I, I knew this wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but long story short, she asked me at that that time to help on the vaccine. Oh, uh, that's right. Yes, yes. Education and awareness. So at that moment in time is when I was wearing two hats. I still kept my foot in the management role of the 60 by 30 team. But also, um, if you, we had to manage through shortages of vaccine in the state to, you know, growing that vaccine uptake. Uh, worked with some amazing partners to launch a vaccine sweepstakes, which I don't know how many people you know that have helped develop a lotto. I was one of those people. So I think this is why people think I can kind of plug in just about anywhere to, you know, try to support the effort, support a mission to, to help our state. So that's, that's how I sleep well at night. Right. No, no. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, like I said, it was good pedigree. So you, you sort of answered, um, a couple of my questions already, but um, this one's a little bit more geared toward you individually and the kind of advice you would give yourself if you could talk to your, where'd you go to high school? I don't even know. Actually. I went to three high schools, but I graduated downriver, Trenton. Oh, I didn't yeah. think I knew that was your last one. Oh, so, yeah, so okay. I graduated from Trenton. So this, I go way back with the Dingles, which is important. Like anyone from downriver, that's part of the, part of the Lynch. family, if you will. So, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I moved around. I lived in Hastings, Michigan. I went to school there and then Elkhart, Indiana, the RV capital of the world. Um, <laughs> I, those were the three high schools I went to. Um, I just wanted to uh, also say thanks again for all your service for the state and just mm-hmm. different folks over time. And again, I was just going to mention that our guest today is Carrie Ebersol Singh. And I'm struggling here. I missed your title again. I don't want to get it wrong, but why don't you say it again for me so I don't have to <laughs> dig it up here? Yeah, Chief of Talent Solutions and Engagement Officer. Okay, sorry, I, I'm doing this off my phone, so I'm trying to look at it's both. It's a mouthful. No, it's okay. No worries. <laughs> but anyway, we want to thank you again and for all that. It's a tough job, and like we said, it's a moving target, but I'm sure you'll be up to it, and uh, everybody likes the way you're doing things so far, so I appreciate you doing it. Knock on wood, Ed. Knock That's on right. wood. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to jinx you. Sorry. <laughs> all right, take care now. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us today on the Michigan Opportunity. To hear more discussions like this, visit the Michigan Opportunity at thegreatvoice.com. We're so fortunate to have Dr. Kana in the beginning, Parag Kana. I'll call you Parag if that's okay with you. Absolutely. And you have many titles, but thank you, first of all, for doing the podcast. Uh, we think that you know, you've done some really enlightening things in your books, but you are currently the founder and managing partner for Future Map, a global strategy advisor, a world traveler, and a best-selling author. And uh, anything else I probably missed in that title? You have a lot of titles there. Well, we'll go through everything eventually. Yes, um, and and currently too, uh, you have a book out called Move, mm-hmm. which. Um, you probably do a better job than me encapsulating it, but what's the one sentence you probably have about the book? You usually tell people what it's about. Well, it's the future of all human geography. Where will 8 billion people live in the next 10, 20, 30 years? And why? How did we get there? Uh, you know, if we started in 2050 and said, here's where we all will be, and I want to tell the story of the next 30 years, and, uh, and it obviously covers the entire world, but most definitely America and North America. Yeah, and I I think that um, I've actually was a fan of one of your previous book, Connectography. Yes. I I really uh, think that that's something I think about all the time as uh, one thing I guess I would say, I wouldn't say jealous, but I'm envious of how much you've traveled. I think you've been to well over 100 and some countries, 150. I can't remember how many you've been to. Counting down to the to the few left, but I probably don't actually want to go to those. So <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty content with what I've covered so far. But I think that's a great foundation for a lot of your books. And even when you talk about Michigan, I've been to like 80 countries and really... Not to paraphrase Mark Twain, but, you know, the, it's hard to be bigoted when you've traveled the world sort of thing, right? But I think and, it, is, it is so well put. That is one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, he made that in the 1800s. And yeah. you can imagine how much more relevant it is today. No question. Uh, well, I, you know, during this pandemic lockdown, you get this sense that people are content with understanding the world through Twitter. Uh, but you know what's motivated me for 20 plus years still does, which is that there's a huge contrast between what people say when you're in a cubicle or online and haven't traveled to places versus when you go there. So I'm as eager as anyone to get back to the pre-pandemic 
you know, kind of extent of going and seeing places. And let's remember that a lot of places did change profoundly during this pandemic. So things are not going to be the same. Yeah, and and, and uh, I, I think that ties a lot into some of your move book a little bit, too, because, uh, you know, whether it was COVID or not COVID, those were things that were probably already in motion for quite a while. And it just probably accelerated, obviously, the digitization part of it accelerated, but the movement of people. And speaking of movement of people, you yourself, uh, born in India, grew up in UAE, I think, yep. one of the Emirates, I don't yep. know which one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you also went to school in Georgetown and then you went to LSE London School of Economics mm-hmm. and then you did you get a degree also at the University of National University of Singapore too no no that's actually where I've been teaching and where I've been uh, a research fellow and uh, but you know my adolescence was uh, primarily in uh, in New York actually in upstate New York and in uh, in Germany for a while um, so you know not not that far from the Great Lakes but <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I'm 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 a Quaker by schooling, you could say. Oh, you went to a friend's school? No, no, no. I mean, well, Horace Greeley High School, but it's a public high school, so it's it's not sort of you know wasn't inflected with any particular tradition per se. Um, <laughs> but but a good school nonetheless. Uh, but I had a very you know I have very fond memories of my many years there. My parents actually lived there up until just a couple of years ago. Ah, and so. You know, let's sort of I, I, like I don't know how to say this, but just to help you maybe explain a little bit about um, I, I like the way your books are all designed more about civilization sort of than humanity. Not that you're talking against humanity, but right. how there's some things are in unavoidable almost. Right. Mm hmm. Well, I, I like so, that. Yeah, that why don't you explain economy. that a little bit? That's actually a really great uh, point in the sense that humanity you know, let's say colloquially defined as just us, the lump of us, you know, the, the mass of human beings and civilization is our organizational uh, structure, uh, if you will. I mean, I'm concerned with all of humanity in the sense that in this book, as with others, but I, I want to find a solution, right, for all 8 billion people. What is that future map of humanity? I don't say future map of civilization. I say future map of humanity, right? If there are 8 billion pixels on my maps, you know, one for every one of us, where are we going to be? And I'm concerned about the well-being, if you will, in a utilitarian way, you might say. But civilization is the organization, right, of um, of all of us, so to speak, and and it's to me those structures, those institutions, those um, you know kinds of um, uh, norms and codes that that is that is civilization. So I'm really glad that you mentioned it that way, and 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 how that will change, what will organized society look like? And this book, Move, I talk about civilization 3.0. If civilization 1.0 is when we were, you know, distant past, when we were nomadic and agricultural, and civilization 2.0 is what we know today, when we were industrial and sedentary, to me, civilization 3.0 is when we become mobile again, but in a very high-tech way, and we're sustainable. So the two operative words for me for the future are mobility and sustainability. How can we allow people to move and circulate to climate-resilient places, such as, of course, Michigan? But as they do, how can they do so sustainably so that we're not trouncing on the environment the way we have everywhere else in the world? So the goal of the book is to, in a way, you, you kindly mentioned connectography earlier, and that was a book about the functional geography of infrastructure globally. What I'm asking in MOVE is how are we going to use it? How is civilization going to use the infrastructure that it has built 
but use it sustainably so that we can all survive in the future and have a productive, you know, and sustainable set of livelihoods. Well, the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, where I work, is always trying to do that 10,000 view of things. And it's hard when you're just in one state because you're affected, obviously, by many other, you know, regions around you and global issues. But I think the thing that's sort of interesting is even when you use your analogy about uh, how the roads and roads and railways are sort of like the skeleton of the body and then how... um, oil, electricity, you know, utilities are sort of the blood. And then I think the third one was the brains is sort of like fiber optics, the internet, right. the, the vascular cells system, or something. The vascular system, this, the, the uh, circulatory system, the skeleton. Uh, yes, the respiratory system, rather. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that analogy, by the way. I, uh, Thank you. That took me a long time to piece together, actually. <laughs> I have good Well, it's beautiful, though. Thank you. I think it's a beautiful metaphor. Welcome back to the Michigan Opportunity. And now your host, Ed Clemente. Dr. Parag Khanna, you also said that Michigan would be a place to live, I think, in the United States or North America, I forgot what the exact quote said, in 2050. And uh, did you want to kind of, you know, go a little bit on that? Well, I'll, I'll just remind her, this is literally where the story of this book began. It's more than 10 years ago. I was writing an article looking at the whole world and saying which places will meet the test of environmental resilience, a keyword you just used, political stability and economic opportunity. And we looked all over the world and say, sure, Russia is benefiting from climate change in many ways, but you can't say today that you're going to want to live in the Russia of 2050 because you have no idea what kind of government they're going to have or if you'll even be welcome there. Um, whereas you could look at, uh, you know, you could say Norway, sure, uh, but, you know, it could be overrun by uh, climate migrants from other regions and they don't have a strong enough security system, you know, potentially to, to prevent that. So you look around, there's going to be multiple places that are going to be the new centers of civilization. And, but we, as, as I was doing this kind of, you know, global canvassing, I was like, it's definitely the Great Lakes. <laughs> there's no question that it would be number one on my list. So it was like an objective research inquiry more than a decade ago and that is abs- that is page one paragraph one of this book is where will you live 2050 and the funny this is again that why you have to look in i don't want to say in a deep future sense because i'm advocating for this today as you know you know especially with this book coming out all the time in my conversations i'm saying look objectively you want to be in michigan and what i find so stunning is that right now is as you guys know better than anyone the population, the demographics, the dynamics of that are still, you know, sort of downward. You know, there's still people leaving Michigan rather than coming. And I'm saying you're heading in the wrong direction. You know, you need to be going back. And 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 the whole country will be heading back up based upon climate models and so forth. And a lot of my own work looks at how climate models intersect with economics and demographics and infrastructure to point to the geographies, again, as objectively as you can, the geographies where you should want to be. And this this becomes so important from, a, from our national economic planning, because look at the, the, the JOBS Act, look at the Build Back Better Act. We're talking about trillions of dollars of money 
that will either go, that will either be distributed based upon our typical pork barrel kind of approach to legislation and, and you know, di distribution of funds, or we can say, wait a minute, if you're going to do infrastructure on a 30 to 40 year time horizon, what are the places that are going to be livable in 30 or 40 years? And why would you spend an equal amount of money in places that are going under or that are desertified and are going to be hit by heat waves and drought every every day versus places that are climate resilient. And I believe that climate resilient places should get more money. That's my, again, that's my analytical view. It may, again, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to a happy outcome for Houston, Texas. And it obviously leads to a happier outcome for for Michigan. But I'm for investing in people, you know, and, and, and places that are going to be home to people. And there's no question that we as mammals, you know, who have a flight or flight instinct, we're going to flee from the negative effects of climate change and move to places that are stable. That explains human behavior over roughly the last 100,000 years. So I'm pretty sure that I'm right about that. Um, and so I would put a lot more money into the Great Lakes region, a lot more money into Michigan and attract people up there and help that, you know, help it revitalize. And one of the things I wrote years ago that I just want to reemphasize, I say, if you look at a map, as I always do, I think in maps and I say, look, Detroit, its role in the global division of labor is not just the industries on mobility, obviously incredibly important, um, but geographically, it's not just an American industrial hub. It's also the midpoint of this Chicago-Toronto corridor in what will be a North American union, right? And we, you know, we may not call it that. I'm not a multilateral utopian thinking that we're going to look like the European Union and share a government with Mexico. I'm not saying that. But we're going to integrate ever more in functional ways, infrastructure, trade, mobility of people, sharing of resources, water, electricity, all of those kinds of things. So that's the way to think about Detroit. That's the way to think about Michigan, this incredibly stable geography environmentally at the heart of this North American supercontinent. That's, that's not some kind of like branding slogan or far-fetched imagination. That's like a geographic, like cartographic fact. And so that's part of though, of course, it can, if it's useful for Michigan's branding to say that, great. You know, go for it. Use it. It also happens to be true. Well, you know, you might know that, but I was a former legislator and I worked on legislation that was even talking about the rail lines that go from Nova Scotia all the way through to Chicago and then, you know, wherever from there. But that was pretty critical beyond the trucking link. And obviously with the automotive industry, we already have always have had a good relationship with Canada, especially at our border. And, you know, I've been to the Shenzhen places mm -hmm. in, uh, obviously, Europe. It'd be, I, I would like to see the U.S. get to that level at some point, but I don't know if it's going to happen, you know, given circumstances. But you're right on track, I think. And that also dovetails into one other point, I think, that's pretty critical. And it's been sort of hinted at in all your books, I think, is the battle for talent or youth. And you've touched on this a little bit, but I just think that's very critical for Michigan as we try to like sort of reorganize our state and how we get people here. But that ties into two other things, uh, the sort of global digital divide, the quantum people, which is a chapter in one of your books, 
and sort of digital nomads. You know, mm-hmm. I think those are all sort of interrelated. To each they other. are. They are. There's a great overlap there. I mean, quantum people more broadly is the idea that, you know, we are so many people are going to be nomadic and moving all the time that sort of like in quantum physics where you can know the location or the velocity of a particle, but not both. I'm saying people are just going to be moving around, bouncing around, uh, you know, like those um, uh, you could say uh, those those ping pong balls in the, in the, in the, in the glass <laughs> containers, you know, when we have the lottery or something. Um, so that's going to be us. And, uh, but, and so, but, but, but more specifically, when you talk about digital nomads and uh, the war for talent and especially young people, I'm primarily concerned in this book with the 4.5 billion young people, the people under the age of 40, because that's most of the future's population, right? So it's kind of logical. So where will young people, and the fact that young people identify less and less with the nation's state and more and more with cities and places and their generation. Young people want to go where young people are. Young people will follow young people and they don't care about crossing borders. And 75 countries now have nomad visa programs and place-based visas are becoming more common. So cities within countries saying, you know, we have a different set of policies. We have a more liberal culture. We have more affordable housing. We have better educational opportunities, you know, these kinds of things. And so Michigan, again, there has a huge opportunity in a world of remote workers to say, hey, you know, free broadband everywhere in the state, you know, lots of affordable housing, good weather, you know, obviously strong seasons, but but fresh, you know, <laughs> bracing weather one season and nice balmy summers and, you know, setting up that beach in downtown Detroit and like all these kinds of things, you know, make the place cool and young people will go there. If you think this is a hypothetical, just look at Miami, right, a place that is not blessed by climate change in the future, but where the mayor can issue one tweet. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people will move there, literally thousands. It's one of the cities whose the largest population growth during the pandemic was Miami because of remote work. Well, why isn't Detroit the next Miami, right? And there are many ways that it can be, many ways that it can't be and shouldn't be, um, but many ways that it can be. And, and that's what, that's the kind of energy and the kind of, um, you know, effort it's worth making when it comes to issues like attracting young mobile workers today. Yeah, I'm on a board called Global Ties Detroit, but it works with the U.S. Department of IVLP, International Visitor Leadership Programs. And we've had a lot of, obviously, Asians, a big chunk of one of your books, too, The Future's Asian, right? But uh, I I think that we always, people are always impressed when I do a lot of tours of some of these international groups that come here and pre-COVID. And, uh, but they're always impressed. I mean, they always are surprised Detroit's not what they appear or Michigan's not what they would read about in books. And so they're always, you know, we get a lot of university students, international university at the major universities who are international that stay here afterwards too and set up companies. So that fits a little bit into, I think, what you're proposing somewhat. Well, absolutely. So education is central here. Absolutely. So, you know, the young talent, young high potential people of the world are looking for educational opportunities, right? And if you can make it affordable, you will be a prime destination on the map. And I want to emphasize, I have a piece coming out on this uh, eventually or soon. It's, it's about this war for young talent and arguing that, um, 
America is not necessarily guaranteed to win that war. And we always have on the back of great, strong education that's affordable at all levels. You can get scholarships to the top universities. Public universities are affordable. But other countries, and just look at Canada, look no further than Canada, but definitely at Europe. In Europe, they're saying, look, we're, our universities are free and, um, and they're high quality. And they're closer to wherever you are, especially if you're Asian or wherever. Uh, and we don't have the culture wars going on. And we'll even teach in English now. So the whole world is trying to compete for the young students who either can pay tuition or who are talented and can be innovators in their society. And whereas for you know close to 100 years, almost it was guaranteed that the best and the brightest would come to America, it's absolutely not guaranteed today unless you are materially offering them a better deal. And uh, again, that may come down to real innovation and branding you know, things that Michigan can do and say, hey, we're going to open up this new suite of um, vocational technical institutions around the mobility industry, link academia with the, 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 the best companies of tomorrow in the, in the, in the mo mobility space, come and learn here and work here. That would be awesome. Like, that would be amazing if Michigan did that. What advice would you give to somebody about a future career? Uh, like what would you be telling a high school yeah, kid, maybe? I, or, or I, talk I, to yourself yeah. Yeah, as a high school kid. Well, I, I guess I did follow my own advice, that, <laughs> but without knowing what that <laughs> advice was going to be. So in that sense, this answer is pretty consistent with that. But I would say be mobile, right? Be ready to move. Uh, and I, I actually explicitly quote that myself in, in the in the book. And I say, look, uh, the one piece of advice for the future is to be mobile. You know, I'm not sure what language you should learn. Well, you should learn to code. There's no question you should learn to code. You should learn to code and you should travel. Um, I guess those are those are my two pieces of advice. I've only followed well, one of them, by the way. <laughs> I never follow my own advice, even when I know it's right. Um, <laughs> the uh, so anyway, uh, I want to thank you, and I hope you think about either coming back on again someday if you as you develop new Love strategies, it. or or just keep in dialogue with us here in Michigan or the Great Lakes. I think it's I'm glad you uh, like it, <laughs> or at least think that's where we're going to be. Um, well, but let's also, put it this way, it's part of all of our future. Yes, yes, absolutely. And once again, we had Dr. Parag Khanna on. He's the founder and managing partner of Future Map, global strategy advisor. Also, I would put him world traveler. That's only because I'm jealous, though, that you've been to so many places. But, uh, but otherwise, you're really nice to talk to. And thanks for taking time to get up so early and do this podcast today, too. A pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Parag. Thanks for joining us today on the Michigan Opportunity. More discussions like this, visit the Michigan Opportunity at thegreatvoice.com. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Whether you're looking for small business resources, exploring an expansion or relocation, or seeking a world-class workforce, visit michiganbusiness.org to learn how you can make it in Michigan.